Welcome back, Ramble Nation, to another episode of the Living Numbers Podcast, where you learn how to balance work and play through the inspirational stories of others. This week, we counted up with Musty. He is a composer and producer for a band that I've been rocking with for about seven years now. Love this band. I jam their stuff all the times, and they are called the one-ups. He throws down with these three takeaways. Number one, when you find your thing, whatever that is, it will come naturally and it will open up doors for you 100%. Number two, even though you may not get all of the outward recognition, all of the praise you feel like you deserve, sometimes, not sometimes, oftentimes, someone has to cross so that others can run. So maybe you might be in that boat, but don't get discouraged. And number three, oftentimes when you're shifting gears in life, you're going to have to bet on yourself. And we both believe that that is a chance worth taking. And of course, we close with our three what's. And that is something that you do not want to miss. Thank you for listening. Share it with somebody you think will like it. And now, cue the intro. Of course, when I have somebody on for the first time, I have to give them a wonderful introduction. So, hailing from Bentonville, Arkansas, our guest is a part of a wonderful band that I am a huge fan of. They performed at the Penny Arcade Expo, also known as PAX, MAGFest, where they put on an amazing set that I watched a couple days ago, where they played a lot of stuff that I recognize. They've been featured on CNN, MSNBC, you all know who they are, and numerous other outlets of print and digital media. Did a little bit of homework here. Bassist, composer, and leader of the one-ups, I present the man with one name, Mustin. Say hello to the people. Hello to the people. <laughs> so, bef- that's a dad joke. Before I, I jump into our first number, I'll just say um, I discovered the one-ups, this band. Probably around 2016, I went back and looked at my playlist that I put all their stuff on. And the first time I added it was on, is in October 2016. So I've been jamming their stuff for a while. And I reached out to Mustin after watching a bunch of their stuff. And then I just thought, man, maybe I could get him or somebody, anybody on the show. And thankfully, he replied back and now he's here today. So I'll kick it into our first number, and this is the 16-bit era, okay? And that began on October 30th, 1987, according to the internet. So the question above all questions, how did you get into video games? Was there something that you played first that kind of clicked in your mind, like, hmm, I kind of like this. Did somebody introduce it to you? Give us the background. I don't really remember. Ooh. I just know that I had a a Nintendo at some point. Mm-hmm. I think I want to think that I can remember opening it 
and remembering the styrofoam. Uh, but I don't really remember the circumstances and stuff. Mm -hmm. I just know that I was at least nine years old because I know I didn't have a Nintendo until I was in Arkansas. And before that, I was in Chicago, um, except when I was born, I was in Arkansas. And then when I was nine months old, I packed my bindle and a baggie full of Cheerios and I moved to Chicago. But I ended up back in Arkansas when I was nine. At some point in there, I got a Nintendo. Mm -hmm. and. I just loved playing the games. I, at one point, was offered the chance or the choice between two games, and one was Faxanadu, and the other was Super Mario Brothers Three. And I remember just mulling over it, and I picked Mario Three, and I am so Man. glad that I did. <laughs> I went back and played Faxanadu, and I'm like, mm, there's a couple of awesome pieces of music in here, but this isn't my type of game. But right now, I mean, I still I played Mario three like this month. I know I did because I played it in the on the Switch, wow. and that's just a timeless, awesome game. Um, but I know I had I had a Nintendo, but at some point I got that Super Nintendo, and that was the system. That was that was the one. That was the one that that solidified who I am as a person, a, a father and a lover. Ooh. 16 bits, baby. <laughs> <laughs> One of the few games, because I didn't really play, I didn't have a Nintendo, but I was over other people's homes who had Nintendos. One of the two games, of course, Super Mario, Duck Hunt. Did you ever have Duck Hunt? Yeah, I love Duck Hunt. <laughs> and we, everybody had that CRT, so it was just so easy to just put the daggum gun right up next to the screen. But I, I appreciated trying to go back as far as that cord would allow. <laughs> but yeah, duck hunt was a lot of fun. And it always, I did always, I always wonder like, how, how does this work? Right. Like I, I just never really I was, I've always been fascinated by uh, how do some of these technologies happen? Okay. So let's jump into super Nintendo. Um, what are the games that first come to mind that you remember staying up all night playing? The first situation that I remember is I got my Super Nintendo, but it was pretty late after everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I took it in Super Mario World and I went to a friend's house, but my friend had a friend over and it was not my friend so you you know like uh -oh. the dynamic of the one friend in the middle who has two friends that don't know each other yet and that other friend brought his sega genesis and they were really jazzed to play um streets of rage 2 uh -huh. which was awesome yes and so that that was like we were just taking turns on that but then they had also rented this game that they were playing, and I was, and I was like, "Look, man, if we're going to use the Super Nintendo, I'm going to play Super Mario World." I'm like, "Bro, that's old, dude. We're playing this game. It's awesome." And it was just a bunch of freaking reading and crappy little graphics moving around and stuff, and I don't know, like some knights and some I don't know magic people or whatever. And then they finally like passed out, but I was like reading Nintendo Power Magazine or something, and they passed out, and then. Whenever they woke up, they must have seen like quite a sight because I was sitting there with that controller 
glued to the TV. And I'm like, yo, 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 you got to see this, dude. The Cecil guy became a paladin and we got all this magic, dude. I got hooked on Final Fantasy 2, <laughs> man. Final Fantasy 4. I had no idea, man. I, I just like fell in love with the music. And like once, once I actually sat down and started mm-hmm. reading all the stuff that was actually happening, I got, I got hooked on it. And that was, that's still to this day. Uh, tied for my favorite after, with Final Fantasy VI. I, I just I just love those games so much. It's my jam. And shoot, Final Fantasy still going strong. Like twenty something games later, you know, if you add the remakes, you know, but technically sixteen. Oh, yeah, and I just saw I, I just saw two different girls I follow that got PlayStation fives gifted to them so that they can play the new game, and I'm like, dang man. I have a PlayStation 2. Whoa. We're playing PlayStation 2 in this house, man. Playing God of War on Are you serious? You don't have (laughs) not even the PS4? No, man. No. The newest thing I got is the Switch. We have three Switches in this house somehow. Um, But, uh, I I mean, you know, sometimes they don't have the most uh, newest and awesomest games on there. So... Um, it's great though. It works great for someone like me who is old hat and just old in general and likes to get in there and pull up the Super Nintendo and the Nintendo. And then, you know, they recently added the Game Boy, which was like the, the day they added that I down, I got on there and I got Link's Awakening because that's one of the most important games in the world to me. And then I beat it like just <laughs> it's a game on. I love that game so much. Yeah, man. But. But PlayStation 2, man, that that took us to a whole different place. PlayStation 2, I mean, I remember we've always, it was always sports. So Madden. I was just oh. going to say, I don't, I don't care about any sports ball. I, I will watch uh, boxing and MMA, yeah. but any other kind of sports ball, whether there's balls or not, I don't care except. Sitting down, I must have put like hundreds of hours <laughs> passing the controller back and forth with whatever girlfriend I had playing SSX. Oh yeah, I don't know what it is about that game, dude. And anyone I've tried to play since, like three or Blur, mm-hmm. any nothing is as good as that one, man. I don't know what like it's a magical soundtrack, the funnest characters, the goofiest freaking tracks. It, I don't know, man. That's my jam. No, right Tricky there. was good. So did you play? Did you play uh, Cool Borders on the first PlayStation? Mm, I don't think so. Ah, man, those were good too. Man, snowboarding games. There was a bunch of them. I remember a 1080 on a Nintendo 64 was another one. Yeah, I, I, ah. I just really never got. I don't know what it is. It was just a magic it moment where one. I got into that one. But I, any, yeah, anything else? I, you know what? I do. I don't know what the heck is going on, but I do like to laugh and play uh, the super. No, the regular old Tecmo Bowl on Nintendo. <laughs> That's, that's that thing, man. Just those sounds and the music. Hot, 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 hot. It's just funny, man. I, I, that's the that's one sports ball that I can get down with. Oh, man. Okay, so if you had to choose a system, I mean, it will probably be easy for you, but if you had to, you only play one system, you know, from here until forever, what system would that be? It's going to be Super Nintendo if you give me the games. Of course. But if you don't give me the games, then I'm grabbing this Switch because I have a bunch of good Super Nintendo games in there. I've got the good Nintendo games in there, the good Game Boy games in there. And then I have a bunch of pretty good Switch games downloaded. Ah, in Game Boy. 
man, I could talk about video games forever. Like they've been the a part <laughs> of the fabric of my life ever since. Like for me, when the Super Nintendo came out, my older cousins, my dad, my uncles, they were playing the games. I was too young. I, I was relegated to watching, right? There was no getting on the sticks mm-hmm. for us until like Sega. I want to say Sega when I'm thinking we moved back to, to Detroit. Uh, my cousin Derek had a Sega and we had Mortal Kombat. We played that a bunch. We played, I think, Bill Walsh, college football. But really, I didn't start gaming for myself and playing games all the time. The first PlayStation. I think. Yeah. Which one came out first? Wait, Nintendo 64. I'm tripping. This is GoldenEye, yeah. WrestleMania 2000, No Mercy. Oh, yeah. Mario Party, Mario Kart. Yeah. How could I forget? Yeah. Okay. So, clearly we are, we both love gaming. And the next thing is we both love music. So, when did you start to play music? first and then when did they start to intersect the gaming music and then the learning and knowing how to play music and starting to play that other stuff i didn't really have any idea of music uh until but it was always mm-hmm. there like you know and i but i couldn't tell you any songs or anything until sixth grade when i could be in band and in all earnest and naivete, I thought, maybe if I play the saxophone, I can get chicks. <laughs> so I, I asked to play the saxophone. She gave me this mouthpiece. I made a sound. She said, come back tomorrow. I went back tomorrow. It's a very poor rural school, so they just had to provide the, the instruments mm-hmm. for everybody. And she handed me a tenor saxophone. And I started to blow on it, and I noticed right away with my first three fingers that I had, I was like, ha, 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 ha. And I started to play, ha, da, ha, 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 ha. I started playing Heart Through the Grapevine. And I was just like, oh, man, this is amazing. I can make music, and I don't know where in the world. It was all just stored mm-hmm. in there. And just like starting to hear stuff and recognize it. And I had no idea. But I went, I took that book home, the, the learner, the beginner book, and I learned the whole thing in a night. I knew how to play. And of course, I didn't sound. Like, great, you know, I wasn't Stan Getz or anybody like that. But I, I just figured out the mechanics of it, and then I had to train my embouchure and all this stuff. But anyway, I was like uh, the little um, teacher's pet in sixth grade. And then I moved from r- rural armpit Arkansas to Fayetteville. And Fayetteville is the town where the university Raising is, and there's a lot more yeah, a lot more people and, and all that. and But they had a junior high. And so you had to start playing music in junior high. And if you wanted to play saxophone, they put you through the ring you're playing the clarinet. Well, I show up and I already know the saxophone. So I get to join the, like the varsity Ooh. band. And me and four other kids did that, which, you know, kind of put targets on our back and also made us cool to some real nerds. And so... Uh, that's when I made some quick friends, fast friends, like that. I'm still like, that was, that was seventh grade. And a few days into seventh grade, I started making friends that, uh, like I talked to a couple of days ago, I'm going to a wedding next Saturday, wow. like these friends that I've made and I've had for like over 30 years. 
So I've been very, very lucky in that way. But um, another thing that happened was I just started to really pay attention to the music that was everywhere, including these video games. And I remember in 1995, when Chrono Trigger came out, I took a piece of uh, music paper, blank uh, ledger paper, and I wrote a clarinet trio, two clarinets and a bass clarinet, uh, to play Magus' theme from Mm -hmm. Chrono Trigger. And so I got my friends to sit down, and they played it for me. And I got my hand on my chin, and I go, okay, cool. Because that was it. It, You know, we had Discmans. You didn't have a phone with the recording studio inside of it and a freaking (laughs) film studio inside. I had a Discman, and it did one thing. It played discs, man. That was it. Like, so there was no recording. Like, I all that stuff is lost the time, except I do still have those pieces of paper with the music on it from all those decades ago. And that's where I started like getting into the video game stuff. And like that year I, I arranged mission impossible for my jazz band. And, uh, and then in high school, I took the theme from predator by Alan Silvestri with the drums and, uh, that are in five, four. And I made that our marching cadence when we came into wow. the that gum stadium. <laughs> so we're playing the predator theme. It was so awesome. And, and so I wrote all that. Stuff. I, I just like, I don't know what it was, but I just took to it. And, and I just, I've always been uh, music minded ever since. Man, that is an amazing story. Like a lot of people never find that thing that that's, mm-hmm. that's just so a part of them. But like you have to be put in the situation to be able to discover it. Right. So if you never would have joined the mm-hmm. band, you know, if you, I don't know, did anything else. Like who knows when you would have come across that path? Like that's that's extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> so for you to be, if I tried to join the chess club to get chicks, right? Instead, could, yeah. Who knows where we'd be now? Man, <laughs> wow. I've always been into music. Like I can, kind of like you said. Like you always had like these songs in your head. Like you just knew them in your head. And but unfortunately, I mean, I. I have guitars, like, so I know how to play guitar. I'm still learning mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, when you have a two-year-old, it's kind of hard to spend all your time playing guitar, but no excuses. I'm working yep. on it. Um, yeah. But I would always think of this music and I'd be humming and I'd be tapping stuff. And, you know, when you, when we have the technology that we have now and I'm on Spotify all the time, I have like tens of thousands of hours of playlists. And I'm like, well, I wonder if this, you know, Green Hill Zone is on here. You know, it may start with that. And then you see one thing, and you know how the rabbit hole works. You find one thing, and then you find the next thing. And then I'm looking at Intergalactic Continuum, and the Angry Birds song come on. And it's got this crazy snare, da 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 And then it drops. I'm like, what am I listening to? This is amazing. <laughs> So that's actually going to push us into the next number, which is 2001, where you've you had the very early jam sessions of what will become the the one ups band eventually with time. So how did you all come together? And I'm sure there's tons of there's different iterations. There's a lot of people who've been in and out. But how did that first group kind of come together? 
As a graduation present from high school in 1999, my friend got me a piece of software. We also got a computer for the first time that year in my family. He got me a piece of software that did music. And all the stars aligned mm-hmm. where I got that software. I started writing a little bit of original music on it. But then I also found out about emulation. And I figured out how I could play Mega Man 3 on my computer and use my typing keyboard as the controller for it. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then I was like, wow, this is really, really, really good music. And I always rented that game and I was never able to beat it. So I got to spend the time that I wanted to with it as an older person. And then I was like, man, this is really stuck in my head. So then I arranged a medley of Mega Man 3 music and found a website called Overclock Remix that was founded in 1999 and hosted video game music arrangements. Mine went up in June of 2000. Mm. My my first my first video game arrangement that I had made like digital, not not the not the clarinets playing, but like the real like a recording. It's terrible, but I love it, but it's like the first thing that I did. That was like number 67 or something or 87 something you know it was in the first 100 now there are almost 4500 wow. video game music arrangements on that website and so i got into this scene and we're on irc chat or whatever it's called and i've made all these friends that i'm talking to on aol instant yep. messenger <laughs> but it also con- coincides with the first year of college for my peers and so uh one of the friend I talked about talking to two days ago, he had a cousin who initially hated me for some reason. And then he is a guitar player, classical guitar player, who hooked up with my friend uh, Nathan, who was one of the first people I met when I moved here. And he plays alto sax. And they were going to farmer's markets on like Saturday morning and playing old jazz standards, like all the things you are and... Uh, um, what is that? Uh, I don't know. And you know, just stuff like mm-hmm. stuff like that. But for some reason, I don't know why he was reminded of it. But William, the guitar player, William Carlos Reyes, really liked the music from Koopa Beach and the original Super Mario Kart. So he and Nathan arranged it as a duo, just playing the chords as a fast samba, and Nathan played the melody, and then he would solo over the changes. But they both knew that I'm over here in my bedroom or my kitchen, really, making video game music arrangements now, just kind of wildly like a mad scientist. And he, they said, hey, we should do like a, what do you think of this? And, and and I was like, well, we can do a band. And then I called up some other people to fill in mm-hmm. the gaps. And so we were there at the University of Arkansas using all of their stuff, uh, sanctioned or not, for free. And uh, we put together um, we put together a band. and. That's how that's how we got started, and that was somewhere in late two thousand, early two thousand one. Man, and how? I guess how many? Probably none. But I'm asked the question anyway. Like, how many other people did you all know that were doing that too? That was kind of interested in like the same kind of genre of of music that was probably not tapped into at all when you're talking about live band performances. Live band performances were probably under 10. There were some really interesting moments of history. Um, 
1992 or three, the band Mr. Bungle played a Mario, uh, a Mario one and two like medley on stage in, in LA and that was recorded. Um, and then another band, dang, I can't remember the name. They did a, uh, medley of some, oh, they took a Mario two theme. And did it like just jazz style. Um, I think they were called like Super Buck something or whatnot. But there were these instances of what you would call real mm-hmm. bands out in the, the the big cities that were doing these things, not unlike what um, me and my nerdy internet friends <laughs> were doing. But there were some actual kids getting together and doing stuff in Gainesville, Florida. Um, there's a band called select start that was in 2000, 2000 or 2001. It was like two violins, piano, uh, flute, uh, bass, guitar, guitar. Um, it was, so it's like really kind of like a chamber style mm-hmm. music. So it's classical, if you would call it classical. And then there in Sweden, there was a band called Game Over, and they actually would write lyrics and put lyrics on it. And they did punch out theme, just like real hardcore, and had lyrics on it in English and stuff. Um, there was another band in Sweden that was called Neskvarteten, and they pretty much exclusively played jazz, like real jazz mm-hmm. arrangements of uh, Zelda tunes. And they're all, every single one is just fantastic. Man. They're using a Hammond B3 organ, uh, jazz guitar, bass upright or, or electric and drums. And it, it's just in the uh, saxophone sometimes. And then it's just like so good. And, and they were fantastic. And this is all 2000, 2001, some of 2002. But the big one that is still around is called the Mini Bosses. The Mini Bosses mm-hmm. formed after in 1999, a band, a duo called the Genova project formed up in massachusetts i think and from the ashes of that a couple of years later the mini bosses were born a four-person band that was a faithful arrangement performance of a nintendo so the nintendo can only make four channels there's a noise channel which is and there's the bass one that's going doom, 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 doom. and then you have these two square waves that are doing the melodies and harmonies doo, 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 doo. so their two guitars bass and drums covered that and so they have these very they learned the Nintendo music exactly as it was and played it to their best wow. ability and the mini bosses have been around so long that their children are getting on stage and playing the music like with them or in their stead, they have they have bred a, they have, a new. Band they have mini bosses. <laughs> yes, yeah, that you replace them. It's incredible. So, if not for the mini bosses, we would be the longest running video game band. But the mini bosses are still doing their thing. Uh, you know, God bless them that they're out there. So there there were some things, but nobody was doing what the one ups mm. did, playing. Um, real laid back boleros of Super Mario RPG music with the haunting depressed uh, trumpet, or playing a fast samba of Super Mario Kart, or or just doing more of the um, Latin jazz, uh, smooth jazz, R and B, 
like we were doing different things, whereas we had a lot of mostly metal and then a little bit of a straight ahead jazz, which we didn't do as much, but people use jazz as this moniker, much to my chagrin, <laughs> to explain everything that's not metal, that's not pop, and that's not rock or um, uh, country. Everything else is jazz. Mm. So <clears throat> there, there was a lo- there was a lot. It was a lot easier to get heard back then. Um, but the sheer talent that exists now is absolutely fascinating because mm. we, we, we were scrappy and we, we crawled so that, you know, people now can yeah. run, but, uh, man, these, these kids have got the, the, the polish, you know, of course we didn't have these tools oh. that they have such easier, uh, stuff. Uh, and, but that doesn't mean that, uh, we're better or anything. It just is like a different universe we we exist yeah. in. So it's it's wild, man. It is just wild. So it sounds like there are tons of classical elements and parallels in this video game music that uh, anybody who is just, I guess, listening offhand and you don't tell them that it's video game music, that maybe they'll go, huh, that's that's pretty good. Or I understand where that's coming from. Would you say that that's... That's true. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Three nights ago, the one of the most prestigious um, venues in the United States is the Hollywood Bowl, and there was a huge video game music concert there with the Hollywood Orchestra and the choir, and just they sold out the place. It, you know, scores of thousands of people there are there to see. Um, this orchestra, which they do have some footage, mm-hmm. which uh, my band my band was the first to do that. <laughs> they do have some footage up, and then uh, to the, this is I don't know. I, I honestly I know um, Hades. They play oh, Hades. Man, that stuff's great. I think like a Call of Duty thing. Um, maybe it was Riven. I honestly, it was the list. I had no idea what it was. It was all like newer mm-hmm. games. That I just I just don't really know because, like you said, with a two year old, you lose a lot of time. But then, like you know, kids are still uh, they continue to be um, time succubus. <laughs> <laughs> it, but it does get easier as far as like them getting older because yeah. you don't have to do like the diaper. Oh my god! Put those pl- things. You don't have to do the things and the plugs in the wall anymore, <laughs> you know. Um, and the, at, when it comes to the point where you and your wife can leave for like a few hours and and go have dinner, oh man, that's that's the man. Bomb. I can't wait. <laughs> um, it's it's a good it's a good spot, you know. She's gonna freak out the whole time. You're like, baby, it's fine, baby, it's fine. And then you go home early. You skip on the ice cream. You get back. The kids sitting there looking at the iPad. So yeah, they, they I don't know what it is, but I know that I saw some cool videos on Twitter. Mm-hmm. People are getting emotional AF and like that's awesome because that's the the old timers like me, I think we carry this we worked really hard to do what we mm-hmm. did. I was a part of the very first ever. I'm Pioneer. looking over at my uh, curio cabinet. Like I was part of the very first ever video game music fan arranged album. 
and it was a pain in the tuckus to get it made. And it took three years. Now you can do it in three months. And I have proof of that because I did that earlier this year. (laughs) (laughs) But we worked really hard to get this done. And because of what we were doing and the idea of, oh my gosh, it would be so great if they had like video game concerts here, if they actually put out video game soundtracks and arranged albums. And so where they where Japan was falling short and where America was missing the mark and, and naive to it, we were filling in the gaps. Mm. They never made a Xenogears piano album. So me and my company, we did. Uh, we're putting together like these collections of music for people to hear. And then our own radical interpretations of it, which is why the one-ups was so fun is because we just really went out there. And I'll do that on my own too, but you know, with the band, it's just, it's just nuts. But what happened was that we built up and we, and we did such a job. I'm not going to say a good job or a bad job, but we did such a job that we have reached what I'm calling the video game music singularity because this music would come out and I would know every arrangement. And then in 2005, th- there was a bunch of bands and I really couldn't keep up mm-hmm. anymore. And then in 2011, it was just a YouTube like out the, out the wazoo. And now when I open up my TikTok, oh. There's kids I've never heard of before and have no idea of this stuff that that I did and stuff. And like, I'm not saying that they should. I'm just saying that's how far removed we are, is that there's just a straight line going up of kids like taking tin cans and building banjos out of it and playing Banjo-Kazooie and then being able to go to companies like Sounddrop and just license a video game song by clicking a button and playing 99 mm. cents when like when when the guy that is the executive director i was just a, a director on it on that first album cost three thousand dollars in long distance charges wow. alone to call for for, for uh, overseas to japan to try to work out the deal or you can just pay 99 <laughs> it's just it's fascinating to me and i think that comes from i think that there's some people that have um a real these darn kids today don't know how good they have it but i really really try to champion everyone doing something because the creativity that i see is so interesting and i never would have thought to do that but also nobody does what i do and that makes me feel Mm. good and because 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 i can still do what it is that i like to do and be proud of that and know that, you know, what this person is doing is that, what this person is doing right. that. And some people just want to cover it. Some people just want to play it on yeah. the piano. And that's great because there's a lot of people that like that. And some people just want to hear a rock version that's like juiced up with real instruments from like some old PlayStation 2 game. And that's cool too. But I don't, I want to do something that's out there. Yeah. And that's what I like to do. And so that's where. I just have been watching people just do the most interesting things, including what something that was just a huge dream of of our group back in the early 2000s mm-hmm. of the people on Overclock Remix and all the nerds who hung out in IRC. I mean, earlier this year, I watched as Insane in the Rain Music, which is Carlosini. He He's just this incredible guy that made content on YouTube, playing every instrument, putting it in boxes, Great stuff, mostly jazz stuff, really great. He and then my homie, uh, Lacey, Lacey Johnson, mm-hmm. awesome guitar player, key, guitar player, 
uh, just a great personality. She and I have the same goblin energy, and we hang out and cause trouble. It's a lot of fun. But these two kids put out earlier this year when Octopath Traveler 2 came mm -hmm. out, they were sponsored by Square Enix to actually make videos, arrangements to promote their game. And I just, like, my mind exploded. Like, <laughs> what world is this? It's a this? different time. It's so different. It's a different time. That's Man. what it is. And so, like, it's a different time. Take us to, so now we need to talk about what you all do, what you do, Mustin and the one-ups. Because, like you said, when you hear it, it's kind of like it sounds original, but it it has the essence of something else that you've heard before. So like when I'm in class, right. And I'm playing this music, they'll go, I think I heard that before somewhere. Like, I don't know exactly what that I'm like, yes, you have heard it before. <laughs> or some of them, the gamers, they'll recognize it. They're like, that's Zelda. That's Zelda. Yeah. I'm, yes, it is. Now they recognize like those <laughs> things. The angry birds one is the one of the, one of my all times favorites. Um, and then, but you know, they don't play like Castlevania, right? They're not going to recognize a lot of maybe some, some stuff, but talk about like the originality that you all tried to bring to it, even from the beginning, because you wanted to kind of make it, make it your own. And how did that work? Well, I'm glad to hear it's, it, it, it's a lot of tape. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm glad to hear that you like Angry Birds because that was a fight for me. Oh, I love that. That was 2011. I think it was 2011 or 2012. Um, I said, look, we can't just keep doing Castlevania. We got to get in with this stuff. I said, look at these numbers on Angry Birds. They're like, that's a phone game. And I was like, yeah, do you think that all games are going to just continue to be on your little cartridge? Man, look at you. Like, you got to grow up, y'all. And I said, listen to this. It's not bad. We could do something with this. It's a little kind of corny. Like, okay. And so then we just started messing with it in the garage. And that's kind of what I think is probably William, um, William Carlos Reyes and his, like, um, his oh guitar, guitar rhythms are so, like, interesting. Because it's like, and he just has, like, these things. And if you get a good groove going and you know what the chords are going to kind of be, you can kind of put whatever melody you want over it, and then you just mess with it. There's something about this band that has always been sticking it to the man. It's been very punk, despite not being punk. The first album had everything. It had hip-hop. It had jazz. It had punk, funk. Yeah. It had smooth jazz. It had bossa nova. It had rock. Like it all had all the. It had, yeah, it had a metal. We did a Bowser's mm -hmm. theme from Super Mario sixty four. I remember I played a seven string guitar on that. That was awesome. Sounds like butt, but it was good. And it was it was you know just different. It was something interesting to us. And some of them are pretty faithful arrangements, mm -hmm. and some of them are kind of out like there. aquatic. And that's how it's always. Yeah, Aquatic Ambiance is just a real nice groove. And that was, what, 2004? Man, I, I'm, you know. <laughs> I'm telling you, I am a, I'm telling you, I am a huge fan. Like, I got the list pulled up right yeah. here. 
<laughs> I was just going to say, Mocat man, yesterday, Anthony, who helped arrange and, and played the saxes and keys on that, he was in here playing uh, tenor sax on a new R&B version of Aquatic Ambience that I'm doing that sounds like, it sounds like today. I don't know if you know who Jay Diggs is. He's a great R&B artist. It sounds like Chromio mixed with um, Barry White. It's just <laughs> nuts, man. But yeah, we're still doing aquatic ambiance, which is great. And we actually got to play that on stage, a version of that with the composer, David Wise, which was a lot of fun. And I'm trying to get him involved in this new Donkey Kong mm-hmm. thing I'm doing, but we'll see what happens. But somewhere there where, where we, we then I think on volume two uh, had some more faithful stuff and then some more out there funky things. Tell Jam Jamming. Um, Toe Jam, and then uh, and then we just did a Super Mario Kart album, mm-hmm. and there was some weird stuff on there, but also some faithful stuff. But whenever we lost our violin player, which was after Volume Two, mm-hmm. and then we lost Anthony, the sax player, the guy I was just talking about. Um, we lost him in twenty ten, right after the Super Mario Kart album. That was his last thing. It was just down to the four of us trying to figure out what the fudge we're going to do. And so William got a MIDI guitar, a guitar that would hook up to a box and had a little volume slider between guitar sound and then whatever MIDI sound. So he had to play like a pipe organ and stuff mm-hmm. on his guitar. It was crazy. And then we just kind of went full nuts on Intergalactic Redux. We did six tracks. It was still 40-something <sighs> minutes. And then just managed to see... Where we would go from there just kept getting stranger and stranger. But the the thing about it for us is the fun part is taking the all the music and influences that we love and putting it into uh, putting it in there. You, there's so many different artists and little quotes of things from uh, Royxapop, who was famous for the Geico commercial with the guy on the the, con, the conveyor at the airport. I don't know if you all remember that, but it was really popular. And there's a little piece of music in there that's really sweet. But we put that in our uh, Tetris arrangement mm-hmm. on on uh, what's just called Space Block Soviet Fun Time Puzzle Song. And that whole thing is based on a zap tune. More bounce of the ounce. It's just like it's that beat, but we just do it fast. And, and it's just like really inspired by that. Uh, all these, I mean, it's just, there's so many things, hollow notes. I know I put, um, uh, uh, what is that? Uh, pure imagination from, mm. uh, Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. I put that in a plants versus zombies too. Like it. And we put Terminator two and everything. We put that in all, it's like in four or five tracks. It's ridiculous, but it's just about making us laugh. And what we found is that. Our audience is made up of the smart weirdos mm. who get it and that we are the bands, the other bands' favorite band. We always see all the other bands in our sh- in our crowd at the show because they're to see, like, what weird thing are they going to do? Yeah. Are they going to... Um, you know, mix uh, the Beach Boys into Mar- Super Mario Odyssey. Like, mm. let's let's find out. You know, and, and uh, yeah, and that Super Mario Odyssey. We put uh, what is that? Le- Le- what is that called? It's not La Vida Loca. 
I don't know. It's it's. I think it's a Coldplay song. I don't know. We just have all these little things that we're sneaking in just to make ourselves laugh. But when other people get it, it's really nice. So we haven't seen we haven't seen the same big mainstream uh, uh, breakout that some of the other bands have mm-hmm. seen. Uh, but we have our audience and it's a very very interesting audience which is really exciting for us yeah and y'all are y'all are the innovative ones like you said y'all are the y'all are the ones where the big guys go well let's let's check out the one-ups because we know that they're doing something that's going to be different that's going to be a little bit out there they're going to take the risks and yeah that's and, how you come and, up with and like I, I there was a lot of firsts Exactly, you got to stick your neck out there to to uh, do something do something different. We were the first band to make like a traditional music video for Mario Kart or Mario Circuit. We went and uh, we got access to our local go kart track for mm-hmm. free, and <laughs> I saw that did video. this really wild stuff of using. Um, we had to move this like. 1200 pound cart to a different tracks because it's a two-seater so that someone could drive and that the other person had the camp but you never see that cart you know because of editing and everything and it was just a lot of fun it was wild man and that and that video was uh, made by a person that's a friend of mine that's a pretty well-to-do director now um and uh and then like i kind of said earlier i used to lug i think it was a 36 inch crt tv to gigs and then this little portable DVD player that was made for cars. And I put my Nintendo and Super Nintendo, because that's pretty much all we played back then. I plugged it into my computer with this little box, and I recorded myself playing video games, and I was terrible at it. And so I always died, and that kind of became a fun joke in the shows. But I did all this and some titles and put it together. And keep in mind, this is like 2003. Mm-hmm. There was no YouTube. There was nothing to rip video footage of. You had to do everything yeah. yourself. So I put all this together. And because I wanted, when we went to bars, I was tired of the old guy not knowing what the heck was going mm-hmm. on. He's standing there. He's drinking his Coors Banquet, smoking a cigarette, going, what is going on? What are you guys doing? <laughs> but when I set down, when I set down the TV... And then I had it next to me on my keyboard or my bass guitar. Like I could push the button and then, then it would change. And I'm like, boom, 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 boom. And you'd see Mario go into the castle in Super Mario World. And then he'd be like, and then after we break for a set, you know, come sit down and go get a mm-hmm. drink and go to the bathroom. And he'd be like, you got, you're all playing that music from that game, huh? <laughs> And I said, yeah, yeah, that's there to help. Like, if you don't know what's going on, you can see it. But if you if you remember or you just, like, jog your memory, you know, like the nostalgia of seeing it all together, he's like, that's pretty cool. Y'all young people, <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And so, like, that evolved to now every time we play, there is a, a full, yeah. like, edited video that's, like, done really well and, and that uh, my boy Jose the Bronx Rican does for me. Um, and he just makes these great videos so that you can walk into a show, not know what incarnation is going on. You see all this stuff and it's like some kind of Dracula mm-hmm. thing 
and you you know your friend next to you is like dude this is castlevania symphony of the night man this is like the best and you're like oh i didn't play that game but this sounds pretty good i'm gonna go buy a cd and give mustin a hundred dollars <laughs> go get the vinyl that's right okay um last thing before we move into some of like your solo stuff how have you seen the music change over time uh for you all because me going back just kind of listening to the stuff the quality really jumps up you know from volume one to two to three to four as you as you move on and then you know you talk uh uh intergalactic not continuum what was the uh redux you know there i mean y'all redux, are just yeah. full steam ahead so do you ever felt like you are or when did you feel like y'all turned the corner professionally like as a band but also you know, as far as, you know, recognition and being able to get gigs and playing at festivals and stuff. The sound definitely changed after Super Mario Kart because that was the last one that I <laughs> that I mixed and mastered. <laughs> at that point, it was uh, a, pretty much a lot less acoustic instruments because we were all plugging in except for the drums. Right. So, and then we paid uh, our friend Frank, who still does almost all of Shout our out stuff. To Frank. Um, yeah, Frank goes by Diggy Dis. He lives in the, the Netherlands, and um, he's, I still work with him after like 20 something years. He, he mastered uh, the album I put out this year. Um, that's, that's where it took a change because I noticed whenever in on that intergalactic redux. Mm -hmm which was 2011, I think. There's a Zelda Link to the Past tune that is like real slow. It's not real slow, but it's got this boom. It's, but it, it's like one of my biggest influences is the Neptunes. Oh. And the Neptunes is a couple of super producers that make pop hits like you've never seen, man. Oh, yeah. They did Signs with Snoop Dogg. It's beautiful with Snoop Dogg. Slave for You with Britney Spears. They just, in, in, in the early 2000s, 2000 to 2005, like they had 80% or something insane of the, of the radio t hits playing at the same time was their music. And they had a very distinct sound, which is what made it so desirable. Oh, yeah. And it was just, it was just different than what was going on before, but it was so infectious. And I love that. And, and once I heard, that, like I subconsciously did that in my groove for this link to the past. Just like that little off syncopated. And I was like, man, this sounds like it could be a Neptune yeah. jam. Like this is amazing because dude, dude really knows how to mix and master. Whereas I was like, not, not at that level. And that's where I think that the quality mm -hmm. changed. And it's been pretty consistent since then. Up until 2006, uh, we, we, our first show was September 28, 2002. Mm -hmm. And that was at the very first MAGFest in Roanoke, Virginia. There were 265 people that attended that convention. Uh, and then now it gets capped at 20,000. One year it was like 24, like four or five years ago. So it's much bigger now. And that's where we got our start. And we went around town and played gigs and we did gigs at close by anime cons and stuff in Texas and whatnot. But with no real, no, no drama or mm -hmm. whatever, 
just this kind of mutual frustration that nothing was really happening, we had decided to do one more show in 2006 and, uh, and then call it, call it done. Like we were going to be, the one-ups were going to be done. I'm just checking that date real quick on that. Yeah, 2006, May 27. That was supposed to be our last show. Man. And, um, but then what happened was we, uh, I got an email from Robert Koo, who was at Penny Arcade. He was like their CFO, director of operations guy. He was the guy both below and above Mike and Jerry at Penny mm-hmm. Arcade. And he said, listen, I've been listening to y'all on my iPod quite a bit. Would y'all want to come play a show? And I knew what that meant. I was like, just probably in my underwear, just jumping up and down, just like I couldn't believe it. Like, this is it. This is it. This is what we're waiting yeah. for. And I tell these guys, I'm like, listen, this is going to be huge. And like, I don't know, man. I'm like, no. This you, is listen it. Listen to me. You, this <laughs> is it. They're going to pay for all of our flights and everything. And they're like, oh, really? And I said, yes. I mean, we're going to have a trailer. Like, this is what's up. And then we get there, and I've got that same little DVD player, and they let me hook up because nobody else had visuals. It was just me with my little DVD player that hook up to the <laughs> to the huge hundred foot screens. And I get out there and I make a joke, and uh, uh, um, then I uh, tell William, like, "Do you know any video game music?" They're saying they want to hear video game music. What the hell is that? And and so he starts playing the riff that we begin to play uh, our Super Mario World uh, castle music. And so we're just jamming and the drums are coming and right before the violin and the uh, uh, tenor sax start playing that melody. I hit the fast forward button to go from black space to that pixelating, I don't know if you remember, the pixelating Mm -hmm. in from black. You see Mario in front of the castle and he comes up and then the door opens and he goes in. 5,000 people in a seething, roaring mass just start screaming. And I can see the, the guitar players like, like pushed back, like just taken aback by it. Like I could just see like that. I, I, but, and I'm playing the bass and I just, oh man. My entire life there was an itch on, ba- on my yeah. back that I could not scratch. And when I heard those people screaming, I, it, that itch was scratched and I just became completely in, like, enlightened. Like, I was, that whole show was just on fire. People hadn't seen anything like it before because they really hadn't right. been. Um, and then there were, there were, like, other video game bands that were going to play uh, that weekend, including the mini bosses. But what we did was so different and special and involving the crowd and involving the people that, that brought us out. That was it. And even before we left, um, I think it was Jerry from, yeah, from Penny Arcade. He said, hey, keep this time open next year. And we were like, you got it. So we went home and got to work because we sold like, I don't know, eight, seven, seven or eight thousand dollars worth of the only CD that wow. we had. And so we were like, holy crap. And we took that and we put it into recording a two-disc album because I'm a overachiever. We got it done just in time to have it shipped there. And then we went there and it was like well over $10,000 in sales of just doing 
the two different albums that we had and we put on such a big man that is big wild show that's like down to the wire yeah yeah in 2008 that show was i think seven thousand in the crowd but that would be it we haven't gotten anywhere close to that including when we got to play on stage with Yoko Shimomura, the composer of Street Fighter II, sitting at the piano and playing her music, and we're backing her up as a band. Wow. That was still only like 1,200 people. And that was like the venue, but who knows like who would have come out if it was... I don't think we even sold it out, so like, you know, who knows? But um, that all that has really dwindled. Uh, I think that's like a lot of music industry stuff anyway. It's hard to get people out. Um, you know, the, the pandemic happened that changed a lot of people's attitudes, but like we saw a few days ago, the, they packed the Hollywood bowl to see orchestra music. Yeah. Um, but there are, there are bands that are like, I would rather watch several other bands perform than my own. And it's like uh, this, this, uh, past summer, I got to see Steely Dan for the first time. Steely Dan has been a favorite of mine since I was like uh, in seventh grade or something. Love Steely Dan. I think Asia is, yeah, Asia uh, is like the best album ever. And it's like seven tracks. Um, That's what I based my last album off of, The World is Square. I was like, I only have eight tracks. And I was like, well, it's one more than Asia. And we got the same playtime. Now, the music isn't as like, wow, (laughs) but it's still, I was happy with it. But anyway, I got to go see them, and I just got to chill on the lawn and watch. And it was such a great show because they were so smart and coming out and just doing a big hit. And then after that, uh, Donald Fagan, who's the leader and keyboard guy, then they play a B side, mm-hmm. hit B side, hit B side, hit. And there was the, like the whole night. I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Because I know as a musician, if I have to get up there and play the same daggum track every single daggum time, I'm going to lose my mind. So being able to like put in other stuff, I'm sure, was a lot more interesting yeah, for him than just playing Hey 19 for the uh, 19,000 time. <laughs> so I know that that my band doesn't have the hunger anymore. Mm. After 20 years, Man, that's nice. like 20 years, we, we, we don't, we're not as hungry. And I see these other kids that are just tearing it up. And I would be more interested in watching mm. them, you know. But when it comes to the arrangements, I do still love what we do uh, very much so. Because mm. I just... Because it is... Did a... Uh... Album yeah, last year, yeah, we did a we did a live we yeah we did a live one. We put one on there that we had we used to play it back in two thousand one, but we had never recorded it. So we did a, a Castlevania Vampire Killer live and put that on there. But it was a that was an interesting gig because it came from GitHub, which is you know like the software company thing, and and it was one of the best paying most best easiest gigs we've ever done they just they want they have a big managers conference and and they were holding in sydney australia and the 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 commute from the hotel to the 
to the venue was 15 minutes. And they said, we're doing three of these days. Uh, will you get us three 15-minute sets that we can play on the bus to and from? And uh, we said, sure. So we just did that live. And they said, you get to keep uh, the music and the video. And we were like, oh, my gosh. I have no idea to this day what they did to the video. I know <laughs> that they showed it, but I never, I never got to see. They could have just put, you know, their logo on there and drew a mustache on me and called me a loser or whatever. I have no idea. But all I know is that I had everything lined up and ready to go. So I passed it off to my son. I said, Hey, you edit this. And that's what he did. He edited all those videos for me, which was awesome. Man. And then we were able to put it out as an album. So we talked about taking risks. We're going to get to one more number and then we're going to jump out of here. Um, July 29th, 2022. Now, I think, according to my halfway done internet research, this game, Mayonnaise Hole, came out. <laughs> yes, I right. believe that you did all of the arrangements for this game, which was a first for you. So, how yeah. was that? You know, from going from the one-ups, 20 years, holding it down, to now being able to kind of get your shot to do it I guess by yourself, my my guess also is that you had some of your guys with you to help you record, but I'm sure it was a different kind of process, you know, doing it solo. I was approached by the the company, Fangamer. I had a long-standing relationship with them. They started off as an earthbound uh, fan website called starmen.net, and then they started making... Um, fan-made unlicensed merchandise and now they're a huge multi-million dollar company that does like everything for double fine they're licensed by konami to do silent hill and oh, namco to do katamari damashi um i got to write the i got to do like the actual sanctioned video game arrangements for sunset riders i love that game sunset riders the arcade super nintendo played the fire out of it and i was able to record like real Ennio Morricone style spaghetti Western arrangements. I guess it was two arrangements and one original piece of music. Um, so they've always been there to uh, get at me when they need some kind of weird music mm -hmm. thing. Um, that being said, uh, they also have adjacent uh, Robbie Benson and the Super Soul Bros. It's like kind of like a un um, unspoken partner as a as a band. They would almost always play at their booth at like PAX and MacFest and all this stuff. Um, so they approached me and Robbie to write the music for this game, and it just so happened that both Robbie and I had some pretty massive uh, life uh, changing things going mm -hmm. on. And we were not uh, able to collaborate the way that we had hoped to. Um, and it was getting down to the wire where it's basically one guy, Jack Murphy, who made the game. And, and he had to deliver the news like, hey, if you all can't do this at this time, uh, we're going to have to. I, we already have somebody uh, writing other music. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, let me call you as soon as I get off of work. This is like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 
and I get home and I'm in my driveway and I call the dude and I just like, I was like, just let, just let me do it. You know, I love Robbie and like, just, but just let me do it. I'll get you a track tonight. I'll get you, a, I'll get you a new track every single night. And sure enough, man, I, I did. I, that night I did, uh, um, I, I already had written the credits theme, which was how I got the mm -hmm. job. I, he was like, you know, we want you to do this stuff. We're like looking for some like cheesy, like nineties, um, uh, infomercial kind of music. And so I made a little more eighties and then I did, um, some like making fun of James Hetfield, uh, Metallica guy mixed with, uh, just those eighties guys that would sing like this. <laughs> um, a lot of people said it sounded like the DVDA, which is Matt, um, Trey Parker's band, Matt Stone's band from South Park. They sing like this. So I wrote these lyrics and it was about mayonnaise. And then like, that's like, I got the, the gig because like I went the extra mile and, and, and I was so excited about it. But what he really reeled me in with was he said, there's going to be a level that's based off uh, or uh, inspired by Silent Hill. And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I love the music from Silent Hill. I like uh, the, the games that I've played and the whole mythos. And I was just, it was exciting. Um, and that wouldn't happen until way later, which is a real bummer. But, but like I said, I went home and I, and I wrote a theme. And he was like, this is great. And I wrote another, the next night I wrote another theme. He's like, this is great. And I wrote another, I just kept pumping yeah. them out. And then it came time to do that Silent Hill one. And I made this track and I was doing all this weird stuff and recording these like weird sounds around the house and trying to make it just super spooky. And I sent it to him and he's like, dude, this is awesome, but it's too scary. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Yes. And I'm so glad that I was able to do that. But with him giving me the notes, I went back and, and made something that I'm like way more excited mm -hmm. about. I love what I did. But with the get, that part hasn't come out yet, which is a real bummer. So Robbie did manage to do the last level. Mm -hmm. And I think he has the level right before the last level. But everything else is composed by me. Oh, and then the main melody of that last level is the is the melody that I wrote for the beginning, right? So it's like he's using that melody. But anyway, that's uh, that's how it ended up, that I've got everything else so far, and this can all change. And if he wanted to do something and could, like we could figure it mm -hmm. out. But um, uh, on in July of last year, what they put out was a beta to uh, figure out interest right. and uh i mean it didn't break down the walls but it did break down their expectations so they are hoping to finish it and uh i i really hope that they do because it is the most insane idea for a game i i i i love that we, we put out one two three there was three levels i think and then i had like three or four or five pieces of music in there I, and, and I got to just really do what I love to do, which is write melodies. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up playing Mega Man, um, I, I get to Dr. Wily and I, and, and to his castle and I'd be excited because the music, I'd be like, doctor, doctor. I mean, just be singing songs. 
and you would make up the words based off what how well you were doing you know like if you're just like trying to like I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. You're playing Contra and you keep dying. And you're just like, I keep on dying. Like you just <laughs> keep like adding these, you're writing words, you know, when you're a kid based off of what's mm-hmm. happening because you're so invested in it and the music has got you. It's grabbed you. That's why I get lost in a lot of the newer stuff. And I, and it's not, I mean, I guess I should say more of the orchestral, uh, ambient, uh, the stuff. I, I like a strong melody. Right. Not that I don't listen to stuff that like that. I mean, I like like a lot of the chill hop and and uh, and you know, I doesn't have to, but I like a strong mm-hmm. melody. And so I got to write these melodies that are that are very singable. Yeah. And I've even heard it on people doing the testers to the the, the the testers, you know, just making up their own words. And I'm like, yes, I have succeeded. That's what I wanted. You know, that feels so good. And I don't, I don't know if and when I'll do this again right. because they wanted Mustin. I, Mustin doesn't want to go out and try to be the next Final Fantasy mm-hmm. guy or try to be the next, um, you know, Gran Turismo guy or whatever. I don't, that's not my bag. Right. But if somebody wants my sound, that's the thing I get excited about because there I can really, you know, shine. I mean, literally, only one note was was this is too scary, and I I mean, I'm just so lucky that that happened because I just hear the horror stories of people trying to write music for companies. And yeah. Like, mm, could you uh, add a little bit of French horn, and uh, perhaps that will be better. Like, oh yeah. my god, that sounds. No, <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> Man, having that creative freedom is just. It's great, man. Awesome. You know, because you can you can do what you want, and they're like, "We know who you are. We know what you do. That's what we want. Bring the whole mustang." Yes. Okay. Last part, <laughs> the three what's, and this I mean, this is great for me. I'm good. Um, the three what's uh, I do with every guest, and you can go however long or however short you want with these. Uh, gut feeling. All right, so. What number one? What's an opinion that you have that would be considered unpopular? Breath of the Wild. So, oh. all right, well done. <laughs> <laughs> I found out recently why, and it's because my son played it in a very non, non like the way you're not supposed to. <laughs> And so when he got it on Wii U, I was excited. Like he was there with me at PAX South. It was his first con um, to try. He was dressed up as Link. God, he was so little back then. That's man, that's wild. So whatever that they showed that that was there. We got to go in early because, you know, I was a guest and stuff. And he, you know, got to see like, oh, dad's kind of cool. And uh, we got in there and and we played it. We played the demo. And I was just like, I walked away just like, man, that one, that one ain't for me. Like that one ain't for me. Like that, they didn't make that one for me. He was jazzed. Anyway, months later, game comes out, he gets it. And all I ever hear is this shrines music and these guardians. And that's it. And it just drove me nuts. I'm like, why are you, why are you still in that level? And he's like, it's a different level, dad. I'm like, oh my God. 
And then he finds out, he finds out Tears of the Kingdom is coming. And so he buys it again because he sold the Wii U, much to my chagrin. And he, and he buys it again on the Switch. And then he's playing it again. And it's the same thing. Except one day, like after like a week, I come out of the bathroom or something. And there's this really pretty music. And I'm like, what is this? What game are you playing? And he's like, I'm playing Zelda. I'm like, what is, and he was in a town. And I was like, there's a town in this game? <laughs> like, I literally didn't know. He's been sitting there doing this thing, grinding on these, um, what is it called? Sanctuaries or something. And then beating up rocks. And I don't know, man. It just drove me nuts. <laughs> and and I didn't like any of the music I was hearing. I didn't like the idea of running around and loincloth, <laughs> hat on. I don't know. Just it was just nuts. But there is some decent music now. I've come to find out in the in that game. But I, I, it's still very easy for me to say that the game was not made for me. All right. Uh, what number two? If you weren't doing the one ups the past twenty years, what would you have been doing? I don't know. <laughs> I hope that you. I hope you never find this out. You know, I only wish it on my enemies. I know people say that they don't wish things on their enemies, but I do wish because <laughs> <it on> <laughs> I'm I'm petty. But I really, I really hope you don't find this out. But um, divorce is is freaking brutal, and I learned a lot about <laughs> who I am and and what it is that I do, and I. I I've always loved photography and, and I, and I just now like only after the divorce that I like take a class and really learn how to do some stuff. And I've taken some pictures I'm really proud of, but I still don't have the, the hunger mm. for it. Like I used to draw when I was a kid, one of my best drawings is of link uh, in front of the windfish's egg from links awakening. I think I did it when I was like 12 and it's like for a 12 year old kid with a, uh, uh, colored pencils that's been lying there for 30 something years or whatever. It's not bad, but I never continue to draw. I pick it back up again. And I found out real quick, like what I really wanted to do when I was um, that young nerd doing the final or doing the Chrono Trigger stuff in uh, junior high, I, I wanted to write music for film. I wanted to be in the next Danny Elfman. But when I got the opportunity with my buddy, who's a film director, he went to NYU film school and he's like, all right, score this. I hated that process. <laughs> I hate, and I still do. I tried to write some music to picture recently and I just, I, I hate mm. it. It made me so, so angry and I didn't like that. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I know sound. I know music. Right. Um, I hear stuff. I record it. I process it. I've used it um, as long as I can remember to do different sounds and all of these things like that. And then from there, I do um, different sounds and I'll just, and I like to read the story. And I, I, like, I just go through and I take all these sounds and I, uh, I like to do it. Like I just go, like I can take Get things and here. be able to manipulate them and I can do all manner of different accents down here in the South. Like I can just go through and, 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 and when I need to do something, know what it is that I need to pick out and 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 make it happen by manipulating it either in with a microphone or inside of a computer or with my voice 
or whatever. Like, it's just, that's my gift is the audio stuff. Being able to hear something. I can't do it like some people, but I can hear something and start playing the keys, mm-hmm. uh, play, playing the chords and stuff on the piano or the keyboard. And I mean, it's just what I'm, that's just what I'm around for. Like, yeah. I don't like what I'm, I'm, what I'm doing. I'm not good at it because I don't love it. I could be better at my job. I just, I'm so tired of spreadsheets. <laughs> and I just want to, I just want to find a way to do stuff with music. You know, the one thing that's been consistent, and I pointed this out, but I realized this somewhat recently this year, is that people have always asked for my help. And I cannot remember saying no when it comes to like, how do I do this? I've been in a lot of thank yous of the CDs for bands that have made music or people I've helped people make it. I like, I, if you want to know how to do something like I'm, I'm excited to show you. And I love keeping people accountable. Like, Hey, how's that? You said you were going to be making that thing. How's that yeah. going? Um, and and re- reminding people of something that they've done that I've found to be inspiring or important. If I could do something now, I would love to travel and talk. Um, I did a panel for the very first time at uh, VGM Con, mm-hmm. uh, which was in April, and it's in Minneapolis. And I got up there and I talked for eighty minutes. And I, it was amazing. I walked in a minute late, which is not like Uh-oh. me. But when I walked in, th- it was full. It was full and the walls, people were standing. It was amazing. And even with almost 15 minutes of technical difficulties because the computer was in Russian, <laughs> we, we had to figure all this stuff out. But even still, I managed to keep them there. And I would love to be able to capitalize on that because... I've had a lot of people tell me that one of their favorite parts of the show is that what's Mustin going to do? I love, <laughs> I love being an entertainer. That's, that's what I, I love to do. Okay. Like I, I, I walked in a minute late. There were people in almost all the chairs and there were people up against the walls and we're going and we're going and we're going. And then at one point I talk about failure. And failure is a very important thing to embrace. Mm. And it's important to bring it into your life and see where you can improve. But when it's not truly a failure, if there's something that you love about it, and I, the, the poster for Intergalactic Continuum just continues to make me happy every day. It's perfect. It's exactly what I wanted. But the album completely tanked. It was the worst. <laughs> it's the worst album as far as like, if I can go and look at all hundred and something tracks from Spotify, uh, on the numbers that behind the mm-hmm. scenes, almost the entire album is at the very, very, very bottom. Oh, really? Out of the 10 albums we have out. Yeah. Oh, man. It's just something about it did not resonate with me. On Duel for the Fairies? And I the, said, the, I the guitar know, on right? The guitar on that album is just ripping everything. I'm like, this is, this yeah. is amazing. This is so good. But obviously, I like that guitars. That is Tim. Yeah, that's Tim Yarbrough, and I think that's really where he hit his stride. Like, he just came through on that, and just, he really, st- from then on, he was just, like, on. he was uh, running at 100, you know? 
But what was fun is that I'm telling them about it. And I said, but I got this poster out of it. And, and it doesn't matter if there's no rhyme or reason to why the album didn't do well, despite the fact that I think it's good. Is that I just, I put, I didn't, I didn't um, sacrifice any integrity. Mm -hmm. and, and what I did was great. But everybody is here is, is, is going to benefit from it. And I and I moved the next slide on my th and I was like, because everybody here is going home with the copy of the album, reach under your chairs, <laughs> and like, and they kind of laugh a little bit. And they're like, <laughs> and then there's one kid in the front row who's like 19, and he like reaches down and he's like, oh, dip, it's real, <laughs> and they were like, what? And they all just started like laughing and cheering and stuff. How did that happen? I love that magic of of, of like we watched him walk in late. How did that happen? Like, yeah. I mean, obviously I went in many hours before the panels <laughs> started and I sat there and I put on this awesome funk album by XL Middleton. And I just played that on my phone and I went through and I taped 60 something CDs Man. into those chairs, sweating my nuts, you know, just like, woo. And then, you know, only for it to find that, Everything stuck perfectly. Nothing fell off. And everybody got to get a CD and just like have a, a moment of like magic. You know, I love that. So if I wasn't doing the band, if I hadn't have done the band for so long, I would be doing something. Yeah, I would either be like <laughs> a, a magician or like the saddest clown at a kid's birthday party. Okay, last what? No, oh, man, this is awesome. I think this is right up your alley since you want to be a public, uh, not a public speaker, but uh, um, uh, what is that? A motivational speaker? Uh, yeah. What advice would you give to someone in high school? Man. High school is so different than when I was there. I would say to do your best to form what you would hope to be lifelong friendships. Mm -hmm. I know that when I tell people that sometimes I go out and do trivia or get drinks or something with pals that I have been like four different friends that still live here. And we've known each other since we were in seventh grade and we're in our forties. Like it's like, that's that's an anomaly now, you know, and it's awesome. Um, but I, I'm just just buckle up, kids. <laughs> I don't know what's gonna happen, but uh, I'm like I'm hopeful that uh, you, as a high school student, can can find can you don't you know what I'll tell you that you don't find your way. You make your way. You don't find yourself. You're always yourself, you know, you're not, you're not going to go out there. That's the same problem that a lot of people have and, and, and everybody, even <laughs> my dad comes on, mm. you are not going to have this, especially monetary goal or achievement goal and get it and immediately be happy. You have to be happy and content with this first with yourself. Because when you get there, you're going to be even more miserable when you find out the truth. And the truth is, right. is that you don't like yourself or your situation or whatever. So mm -hmm. that's really the thing to do. Don't, don't go find something. Find yourself.
And don't do meth. That stuff is terrible. Don't do that. Don't don't be messing with that. If it didn't come out of the ground, don't do it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, Mustin. This is the part where you plug it all. Tell people where they can find your music. Tell people where they can find uh, Mustin Enterprises and uh, and everything else uh, that you and the One Ups do. I'm on Twitter at Mustin M U S T I N. That's where, uh, because I'm old, I do most of my stuff. But I have a great audience, or uh, like yeah, audience group of friends. You know, it's a good place. And I and everything that I do that's happening, I talk about there. There's the One Ups have a Twitter too. It's kind of just whenever there's an announcement about something, that's at the One Ups band. Um, the One Ups have a website where you can find all that stuff real easy. The One Ups dot com. Uh, that's T H E O N E U P S dot com. And um, I think you just have to search on TikTok. I think I'm Mustin Enterprises on TikTok. I'm doing stuff on there. The one-ups are on there, but I don't know when the next thing is going to be up. Um, That's what's man, up, man. Uh, Mustin, this was amazing. It's definitely my longest interview. So congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Ramble Nation, that is one for the books. I'm sure you can see how excited I was by my tone and the questions and the conversation to have Mustin on. You know, sometimes you reach out and you don't know if, if people will reach back, but he did. And I was so grateful to have the conversation from him to be open and candid with all of the information that he talked about, the stories. Uh, so if you are looking for more conversations like this one, then definitely check out the Living Numbers podcast dropping every Monday and you can stay in touch with the community through the IG page. That's where I post most of at the living numbers podcast. Subscribe for the behind the scenes episodes and I will see you all in the next one.